Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff, one of two podcasts I do. The other is brand new. It's called The Angel. This one, The Accelerator, is for entrepreneurs, founders, startups, also for um, family offices, for uh, venture capitalists, for people on the money side like family offices and, and um, investment firms. So um, it's great to be here with you. Make sure to look for us on all the major podcasting platforms. Make sure to rate us and uh, subscribe, we hope, and give us a good review. That would, that would all be great. We're on all the major platforms, Apple, Amazon, Audible, you name it. Uh, and, and in terms of video, we're also on Spotify, audio and video, and YouTube. So check all that out and go to my website, michaelconniff.com, michael, C-O-N-N-I-F-F.com. Today, I am very enthusiastic about welcoming to the podcast Avi Shalgi, uh, he's the founder and CEO of Solar Simplify. Welcome, Aviv. Great to have you here. Thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. And Aviv is um, coming to us from Chicago, but um, I have to ask um, the most interesting, I think, I, I'm not saying there aren't other things in your background that are more interesting, but the fact that you did work in Israeli intelligence seems um, particularly pertinent today. The New York Times has front page stories about intelligence and leaks and all kinds of things. So what did you do? Um, what did you do for uh, for Israel in military intelligence? Uh, sure, what, what, I, you can, what, you, what can you tell us or what can you, make, <laughs> yes. what can so, you lie about? <laughs> so, so not a whole much. Um, no, so I spent six years in the Israel military as an intelligence officer, um, mostly around satellite intelligence, so imagery. Um, um, and basically, basically doing uh, mostly tech stuff, I would say, tech and operations. Um, you know, around satellites and rockets and space and what today I think in the United States is, is under the Space Corps. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. The Space Corps. Wow. That shows you how far we've come, if we've come far at all. Is uh, just one more question about that before before we move on to more <laughs> matters. Um, sure. When you look at what's happening today in intelligence, um, is it completely different than what you experienced in your time? And I, I, you were, you were in how many years ago, in intelligence? Oh, I separated more than a decade ago. Okay, so, so, so it's been a little while. So ten years ago, what's the difference between then and now? First of all, I would not know because I'm not there. <laughs> I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, technologies change, things get updated. Um, there's there's definitely you know different ways um, of, of of acquiring intelligence. I, I would assume that today, unlike I don't know if compared to ten years ago, but maybe to fifteen or twenty years ago, um, you could have gotten some intelligence from public media. You know, watching some other countries' news and tv and stuff like that like could learn some things about that other country or listening to the radio um but today there's so much more information online you know because we're all hooked to this phone thing and we report about everything um, that's happening and so i think today it's much tougher for governments to hide things um especially think they're in plain sight you know broad of daylight and stuff like that um, 
And also there's a lot, uh, it's probably, I would guess, this was definitely not my side of intelligence, so I would not, I'm not a professional to ask about that, but I assume you can probably get a whole lot more information, you know, countries that want us ill uh, or countries that we want to, uh, um, you know, get, inte get intelligence on, um, you know, th there's a lot more cybersecurity, social media, a lot more stuff that are, you know, intertwined and interconnected, I would assume today versus 10, 20 years ago. It, it shows yeah. how fast the world has changed. 10 years is like 100 used to be. So um, uh, we want to talk in a second about Solar Simplified, your company, with which has a very interesting business model, I think. Um, and but, but first, I want to ask you about your journey from there to here. So there being um, Israel, uh, your background, and, and also how that intelligence experience kind of informed uh, what you did and what you got interested in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it's been a long journey. So I switched careers five times until I became an entrepreneur. Um, and so to anybody who's listening, who's thinking of career changes or, you know, is not sure that their current job is the right fit or the current industry is the right fit for them, you know, I applaud you for even getting that way, you know, and thinking about these things. Um, it's definitely not easy to change careers. Um, but, you know, for me, it worked out because it took me a couple of tries, but I ended up finding was, something that I'm what was very one, much in love with. What was one through five, just quickly? Like, what, what kind of job? Sure. So six years in the military uh, doing intelligence. Um, a couple of years uh, as a hardware engineer, I designed chips. Uh, um, you know, that we have in our laptops and phones and stuff like sure. that. I worked in management consulting, um, doing, you know, strategic consulting around fin finance acquisitions, um, you know, things of that nature um, for like Fortune 500 companies. Um, I worked in a startup uh, as, an as an employee. I worked in VC and then I became an entrepreneur. Um, Okay, so it actually sounds like the perfect background. So let me let me start with some of the more recent ones. When you worked in a startup, what kind of startup was it, and um, how would you compare working as an employee in a startup? Assuming, I guess it sounds like maybe you had no equity or no piece of the action. How would you compare that to today when you're truly in an entrepreneurial situation? What's the difference in the sure. market? So, so I was an early employee, so I did actually have you know, kind of, I wouldn't say like the founder, but, you know, the immediate hires after that. So I did actually have a, a, a nice stake at the company, um, um, which is very nice. It's it's actually a public company, so it turned out well. Um, Can I, may um, I ask you what, that, what the company was? Yes, it used to be called Taptica. Uh, they've rebranded, they're called Tremor. It's an unknown company that's traded on NASDAQ, um, but it's in, it's in advertising. It's advertising technologies. So algorithms oh, no, and no. how do you figure out who should watch what ad online or on your phone. Um, okay. Um, instead of just showing people, you know, what I call the spray and pray method, just show it, to, show the same ad to everybody and pray that enough people are going to click or download or buy or sign up or whatever that campaign's running. It's, it's actually an area I'm really interested in on this podcast. We had Courtney Presto. She has a platform called Presto. But she comes out of the Disney ad tech world and um, has yeah. developed um, a way to reward people for looking at ads. Um, so mm -hmm. so uh, that's uppermost in my mind, actually. So what about the VC experience? 
Yeah, so I worked in in, in two VCs. Um, I would say one 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 was an actual VC, one was a corporate VC. Um, Which and you know, who, different. And, and who were they? Uh, so the corporate VC was actually the same startup after we went public. Oh, uh, we right. raised more money than we expected. Um, which uh, uh, we had to use that money because we owed that to the public for it not to be sitting in the checking account of the company not doing anything. Um, so the first group I founded after we went public was an M&A corporate development group um, where um, you know we would go out and buy companies or buy businesses in tangent fields so we could expand our reach. Um, but then it, it ended up getting to a place where we might have opportunities where we want to invest in companies before we decide whether we want to buy them as a strategic um, you know, acquisition or maybe somebody else is going to buy them and we'll, make, we'll get the financial return. Mm-hmm. Um, so started a corporate VC within that company. Um, and then um, I worked for the, uh, the VC fund of the University of Chicago um, for, a, couple, for oh. a couple of years. So it's the, the university has... Under the endowment, uh, you know, a fund of I think it's about fifty million dollars nowadays um, that they invest in startups where the you know the found the, the, the endowment wants to get the returns. Uh, and is, is it does it uh, reflect the Chicago School that fund? Is there any kind of Milton Friedman uh, uh, action going on? Um, I would say yes to no. Um, there's definitely you know there's there's a big committee. Of, of Chicagoans uh, that you have to present to. It's not just, you know, an individual person's decision. Um, and many of them, you know, come from the Chicago or even University of Chicago background. So so that definitely works. Um, mm-hmm. But but at the end of the day, it's a VC fund, you know, if it just have a, has a single LP, um, you know, a single investor, it doesn't have multiple, you know, dozens or hundreds of, of LPs like normal VCs do. Um, That's kind of a um, nice luxury to have, isn't it? I would say yes and no, um, because at the end of the day, you have to report to that LP, um, and and you know they would like you or they might not like you. Um, you know, uh, and I and I was I was an associate, um, you know, back then, so you know I wasn't the one communicating with the endowment on a daily basis. But you know there are the, we we had two partners who used to manage the fund back then. And they had, you know, daily or weekly meetings with folks from the endowment and reports. And it's basically like being almost like being an employee if you have one LP because um, they are the bosses. They control the money um, versus a yeah. standard VC that has multiple LPs. You still need to report to them, you know, but I wouldn't say on a daily or weekly basis, usually quarterly or whenever something happens. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when did you start your company? When did Solar Simplified get started? Yeah, so we started Solar Simplified in June of 2020, so almost three years ago. Uh, the, the midst of the pandemic, the world is ending, um, um, and my co-founders and I were basically trying to come up with an idea that we would like to work on, but that, that has a market, that there's a need for it. And we were mostly looking at um, how can we help people save some money? Because if you remember first few months of COVID, we had the lockdowns happening throughout the country. Everybody thinks it's the zombie apocalypse. We're all going to die. 
and um, you know, very, very tough times. And so a lot of people got furloughed. A lot of people got laid off you know, in the first couple of months. Yeah. So we were trying to come up with an idea that would be a good business on one hand, so it could get financial returns, but on the flip side, it could also help people save some money um, because we're trying to do a little bit of good you know, to our friends, to our families, to our colleagues um, who, who were struggling. Um, and we ended up starting Solar Simplified because we found this intersection between um, the renewable space, specifically in solar, um, and the savings. Um, so basically, Solar Simplified is a platform that connects consumers, anybody who pays an electricity bill, so renters, homeowners, business owners, um, with a local solar power plant has to be local, has to be in their area. The power lines have to be connected. Um, and it has to be solar. It has to be a local solar power plant. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, and it has to be fairly close to them, let's say up to a couple hundred miles at most. Mm. Um, um, and, but instead of buying the energy from that power plant, as a consumer, you get a coupon on your utility bill. So you actually pay your utility less than what you would have otherwise paid without us. The size of the coupon depends on how much sunlight was shining on the solar panels that you got associated to. Um, but those panels, so, those panels are not typically going to be in your house. They're going to be off in a grid. In a, correct. In a correct. It's a power plant. It's a power plant. It has economies of scale. Mm -hmm. It's on land, so nobody has to climb roofs. There's less risk. It could be anywhere, right? It, it could be in... has to be in, close to you. has to be close to you. So it can't be in another state. I um, see. So it's it's nearby, but it's not your home. Correct. Um, okay. Got it. So you want And offer, it doesn't cost you anything. I would say that's the big thing. It, putting I, I'm all for putting solar panels on your roof. The problem with that is that it only appeals to about 20% of Americans. Because it costs, mm. that's statistics from the government. That's not statistics that, that, you know, that I collected. But about 80% of Americans can't put solar panels on the roof because they are renting or they live in a high rise or it's a shaded or wooden area or any other reason why they couldn't put it. Or they just can't afford it because putting solar panels, it's, let's say, twenty to $50,000 a household. Um, that's a whole lot of money. Not everybody has that money. Not everybody can um, has you know good FICO scores, good lending habits that they could borrow money, get a loan to put up those panels. Um, and so, what do you do if you're in the eighty percent bucket that can't afford it or just can't physically put it there? We are providing that solution. We're putting the panels elsewhere. You know, still fairly close to you. But it's it's not on your property. It doesn't cost you any money because we can get a mortgage, we can get a bank loan, because it's a large facility, and so it doesn't actually cost you anything. All that all that the consumer needs to do is sign up. How how does the bank loan facility play into it? I got a little confused there. It, it saves you from paying for the panels. So you have the bank loan facility. You solar simplified. Okay, got it. Not so, solar simplified. Our partners that actually do the construction are the ones carrying the loan. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so explain the mechanics of how you're able to provide a discount like this. Sure. Um, I would say it's 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 fairly straightforward to people who are in the industry, um, but I'll try to simplify things. Uh, you know, for all of our listeners who are, who don't come from the energy space. 
basically there's a i would say a, a, um it's not necessarily an anomaly, but let's talk about this as an anomaly for a second, just to make things simple. Where power plants, it's not their business to go business to consumer, to do mass marketing. So power plants' business is to find the land, get the materials, build the power plant, operate it, maintain it, make sure it's producing. You know, mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is that power plants specifically sell energy at wholesale markets. With us, they can sell at retail minus the discount. And so if wholesale prices are, let's say, 50 cents on the retail dollar, with us, by giving a 10 or a 20% discount to the retail consumer, they can now sell at 80 cents on the dollar or 90 cents on the dollar, depending on the market and how the regulation works. So let's say if it's a 10% discount, the consumer now saved 10% on their utility bill. They're very happy. The power plant on the flip side sold for 90 cents instead of 50 cents on the dollar. They almost doubled up. So that means that they can afford my service. They, they'll give us a, a small piece of that upside because marketing costs money and building tech costs money. Um, and so we will, all of three of us, the consumer, Solar Simplified, and the developer, the owner of the power plant would split that anomaly three ways. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Now I, I must say, um, so one of the things I find really intriguing and maybe it's a sign of, um, the maturation of the solar market, but you have gone this far into the podcast more than halfway through without mentioning that you're saving the world. And um, I find this to be very interesting on a lot of levels um, and, um, and, and also surprising. Um, so it's, what you're really selling is um, a discount for consumers on energy. You're not selling, at least you're not marketing, um, do-gooders, um, you know, um, uh, doomsayers, et cetera, who who feel like they have a personal stake uh, in what's going on with, with climate change. Um, and, and what's interesting as well, and I'll, I'll wrap up this little interlude by saying um, it comes at a time. I'll just give you one example from today's newspaper. In the New York Times, there was a story about surfers um, and how surfers in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, uh, the waves no longer break. The waves no longer break. There's no surfing. Surfing is over in a place where it used to be a hotbed. Um, that's just one tiny example, but it, it's in the papers every day throughout the papers now. And there is a consensus on it. So why? Um, why I, I'm assuming you're a very smart guy. You made this decision. <laughs> so why did you make that decision? So I, I would say I'll split my answer to two. Um, First of all, it is powered by renewables. So it is powered by solar, which is a renewable energy. Um, but to me, I want to appeal to the largest crowd that I could appeal to. And yes, we have a whole lot of customers who care about solar. They can't put solar on their property, as we mentioned before, from, because of all sorts of reasons. And so they would sign up with us because they want to support you know, more renewable in their area specifically. I think 
that's one segment. If I would appeal just to that segment, that segment, at least in my opinion, has mostly been sold actual panels on their property to. Because if you're really passionate about climate change, you would have, you know, in the last 20 years, probably tried to get panels on your property or try to get, you know, a small uh, wind, um, you know, generator or something of that nature, geothermal, depending on where you live. You're in that 20% exactly. you were talking about. Exactly. 20%. So exactly. 80%. I think the 80% is split. Some people care about climate and they're welcome to be our customers. There's a whole lot of people who might <laughs> not care as much. You won't turn them away. You won't, you won't turn, turn away anybody. But, but there's also a, a, a big segment of the population that um, think that, that renewables cost them money or that renewables is expensive. And oh, yeah. we are here to basically Absolutely. say, this is a discount program. Doesn't cost you any money. Doesn't cost you your taxes or anything like that. It's a legitimate business because of the way that the energy markets are built. That we're able to extract value where people couldn't extract that value previously. And so to me, also talking about the savings is important. Talking about creation of local jobs. This has to be local. That means that the laborers that are building the power plants are probably your neighbors, you know, maybe in the same town, maybe in a nearby town. Um, you know, it creates it, it the, the actual power plant pays taxes to the municipality, to the county that it's located in. So it gets more tax dollars through the door. Um, you know, there's multiple benefits, in my opinion, to what we're doing. And I like to talk about every, all of the benefits. Because different things would appeal to different people, and they're all welcome to be our customers. So you have 36 customers, and how many states are you in so far? 3,600, um, not 36. Forgive me. But thank 30, you. 3,600 customers, and yes. um, that represents how many utilities? Uh, five or six, I think. Okay, so a lot we're of- We're expanding lot, all the time. A lot of room to grow, for sure. For so sure. 30, of the 3,600, let's say that, let's go with your assumption that they're part of that 80%. Um, do you have any idea or have you done any research on what percentage of those could care less about climate change or solar power, any of it, versus those who are, you know, maybe not as passionate as those who put the panels on, but are still committed to the idea and want to help? Um, that's a good question. We actually have not run that um, that survey, but but I'll talk to the team. We probably should. Um, I can tell that people who are anti-solar are definitely not joining my company. Um, right. You know, people who are are anti-renewables in general. You, think, think about what you just said. How can you be against the sun? I mean, <laughs> well, listen. I truly believe it's a free country to each their own. Yeah. If if yeah. if you have something against the world of renewables or the world of solar energy. I'm not here to well, educate you well, differently. Um, well, well, Aviv, as, as you know, from your background in military intelligence, they hate us for our freedom, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I digress. Right. Um, so, so, okay. So this is interesting. Um, so what's the upside for this company and where are you in your, in the company cycle, where are you in terms of, are, are you raising money? Are you, what, what's going to happen? You hope. I mean, I would say, let me, let me start off with the simpler question, which is the raising question. And then we can talk about strategy and, and forward looking. 
Um, so I would say to any entrepreneur who asks for my opinion, um, you know, I'm always raising money. There's there's no situation where you're not raising money. Um, you know, assuming that you are a startup that needs to get funded. If you're a business that has profits and you're reinvesting the profits to grow the business, that's a completely different type of beast. But in the startup space, you know, if you want to do the hockey stick and you have to get a lot of funding in order to get to scale, you're always raising. So the answer is yes. Um, um, so if there's any investors who are interested in climate tech, um, you know, who are listening, feel free to reach out to me and, and I'm happy to share more information. Um, I would say uh, on your bigger or your broader question of, of where are we headed, um, you know, the goal is to be, you know, national. Um, you know, five, six utilities is definitely not being national. You know, we're covering right now a few states, you know, mostly in the Northeast and the Midwest, um, you know, all the way from like New York, New Jersey and Maine and like the East Coast, Illinois here in the Midwest. And we're continuously expanding. Uh, but the goal, like my personal goal is to be nationwide. So any person, in any state who wants to reach out to us and, you know, save some money and support renewables in their area could do that. Um, so we have, you know, 40 something more states to go. Uh, and also, the, the, I think it's worth pointing out because um, you and I have spoken before, but uh, we talked at some length about how complex the regulatory situation is. Every state is different, right? Yeah. Yes. So, so for us, every state is different um, from a regulatory perspective. Every utility is different from a tech perspective. Um, you know, so we have to integrate with the utility. Again, the savings go on your utility bill. Um, and so, you know, we have to make sure that we're talking to the utility in a language they would understand. And utilities, I got to tell you, um, they're all wonderful people, at least the people that we communicate with. But it's very archaic technology. And you want it to be that way because you don't want the lights start to flickering, you know, every time there's a software update. Um, right. You right. know, this is not an industry that it's okay. It's kind of like the banking system. It's not okay for things to, you know, break apart every Monday and Friday. Um, you know, just like you have downtimes in, in most software providers, even the biggest ones out there. Um, and so the, the technologies are very archaic um, and you have to work through that. You have to work together with their team in order to make those integrations, make sure that things are working flawlessly for the consumer. Right? Even if there's some issue, it's between us and the background. Um, what is, what does your team look like? What kind of team do you have in place? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, um, completely, um, you know, work from home team. Every person works out of their home and they're spread out across the country. Um, it's, you know, tech people and marketing people, um, I would say. How, how many How many of you are there on either side? Um, we're that? eight people total right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you're, you're kind of at... Um... You're kind of at a tipping point. It feels like you've you've. It, it seems that you've proven the yeah. concept. Like the proof of concept is there. You have revenues. Uh, people are using it. People yeah. are buying it. Um, and um, um, in in a fascinating way, I think it actually is a sign of the times that you're not marking it marketing it as you know, save the world with your Groupon like coupon. Um, but you know, you're like, save some money, you know, who can argue with that? Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So 
what what's the horizon for this? How um, what would be the exit? What would be the uh, the happiest outcome from your perspective as of April tenth, two thousand twenty three? I mean, I I can tell you, that I never plan for an exit. Um, you know, the goal, and and that's again, that's what I preach to any entrepreneur who talks to me, that's whether I'm fine. sitting on their board yeah, or yeah. you know just come for me for advice. Um, you know, you can't plan for the exit because if you're planning for the exit, you're going to make certain decisions that are not necessarily in the best intention of your business. Um, you know, you might decide to grow on a losing unit economics, for example, um, which is something that I personally don't believe in, <clears throat> even though there are amazing companies that are built on losing money per customer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, so my intention is to build a profitable company that is, um, you know, making good to the world and helping its consumers save money and helping its, you know, power plant customers make more money and everybody's happy. Um, that is my goal. At the end of the day, there's two options of how to help our investors as well as our, you know, employees, um, you know, to to get liquidation for, you know, their stocks. Um, it's to get acquired or to go public. Those are the two options. Um, and yeah. so which one of them is it going to be? Who knows? I'm not, I'm not planning this one or that one because we have some more way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, if, yeah. if the right player comes along and offers, you know, uh, offers a, a decent check um, that my investors and my employees would be happy with, you know, I would say never say never. Uh, um, you know, maybe, I, I had maybe. that happen to me in my previous startup. Out of the blue, came in a, an acquiring company, made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Everybody ended up happy. Um, and you didn't, and you didn't refuse it. Well, you've been a you've been a great guest for us today. Uh, um, Avi Shalgi is the founder and CEO of Solar Simplified in Chicago. You've been listening to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff, that's me, um, a podcast, a companion podcast to The Angel. We're, the Angel. We're on all the major podcast platforms. Also on, uh, you can see our beautiful faces on Facebook, pardon me, not on Facebook, on Spotify and YouTube. Um, we'd love you to subscribe. Uh, we'd love you to rate us and to tell your friends and to share and do all those things. Um, to make uh, to make our podcast a bigger and happier place, just like um, Aviv's company. So, Aviv, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. You were a terrific guest, and uh, we look forward to your progress in the future. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. That's it for the accelerator. Uh, and like I like to say, keep listening and keep watching because we'll be back before you know it.